So as I said early on, today we start a new worship series titled Four Letter Words. And we're going to be thinking about some of those words that we can actually use in polite conversation, but that we may not necessarily use in ways in which our religion or our understanding of God should convey to us. Particularly when we think about evil and good and what God has in mind when it comes to good. I think we all have an idea. We, we have a sense of justice. We have a sense of, of fairness in our culture. We believe that interactions between humans should happen in a certain way. We should all have a level of mutuality and respect for one another. And when that is violated, it gives us cause for redress. It gives us cause for retribution. We operate in that kind of human system and norm. But I would propose to you this morning that God's idea of goodness, idea of evil and goodness, and his instructions on how we treat others might be a little differently than what we conceive in our world and practice. Now, most of you know that our, our son Jordan lives in the Miami, Florida area, and occasionally we get a chance to go down and, and we get a chance to visit him. We also have friends who live down there as well, and, and this past summer they were kind enough to gift to us the use of their house. They have a rental vacation home on Marathon Key, and so they gave us a week to use this summer. Wonderful gift. Very, very generous of them. So we invited all of our kids and our grandkids to go on vacation with us. So Kendra and Davis and Skylar and DJ and Crystal and Bridget all descended with us down to, to Marathon Key. Jordan took a week's vacation. He came down and joined us. So we all had a happy, wonderful time at a vacation spot in Marathon Key. It was a wonderful week. We all got along great. No, you know, the kids didn't fight, which you think sometimes when siblings get together, you have to worry about those kinds of things. But they all behaved themselves well. Grandsons were good. No major meltdowns of, of any kind. Except for one afternoon. One afternoon, the adult kids evidently got a little bored. Right? They, they just didn't have enough to do. So they got into this conversation with Jordan about coconuts and fresh coconut water and what it might taste like because they saw some coconuts laying around on the ground on the property of the house. But then they saw the coconut palm tree that still had coconuts in the air. And you know where I'm going with this, right? They decided that they needed to figure out how to get a coconut out of the tree. So they go get this long pole that was in the garage storage area, and then they affix another piece to it, and they start poking at the palm tree, right, trying to get a coconut down, which wasn't any big deal. You know, that's okay. One coconut out of the tree is all right. It's when they got to number four and five and six that Jim started to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? And next thing you know, I had to interject myself and stop them from what they were doing, right? I know, party pooper, you know? I had to get involved in that moment and stop them from having their fun. Now let me, just for a moment, paint a little bit different picture for you of what's going on in my head, right? The palm tree that they were messing with 
was right on the property line between the house we were staying at and the next door neighbor's house. And there's a fence area and different things that are right there. And, and in my mind, I could envision all of the scenarios of everything that could go wrong in this moment. Like one of them literally not only getting one to come out of the tree, but hit them right on the head. And they fall over into the neighbor's yard or something like that. Or something else getting broken. I could imagine all of these kinds of things happening. And then I could imagine the conversation that I would have to have with our friends to apologize to them if something got broken. To try to figure out how to make amends with them if there was something that needed to be repaired. To try to figure out how to cover up for our children and their activity, right? I could could think of all those kinds of things and how it might affect our relationship. The kids, they couldn't think of those things. They get to walk away from the moment. No skin off their back other than the minor incident. They couldn't think of the relational kinds of things that would also be a part of that. So what does Jim do? Corners the adult kids, tells them to stop. They've got enough coconuts on the ground. And in my less than tactful way, tried to figure out how to share with them what's going on in my head. How do you think that went over? Right? Here's what the kids heard. Condescending dad telling them to stop having fun. This is our family's symbol. My wife used to do this when kids were still at home. Stop being so condescending. Now that all the kids are grown, I hardly ever see this anymore, thank the Lord. But I saw it on that day. And then, you know what, they were right. Actually, I was right. But my wife doesn't let me say that out loud to the kids. But the kids were right, right, and in that moment. I think we all struggle with listening. Listening in a way that causes us to maybe think a little bit differently and even act differently in our lives. It is very easy for all of us to hear the words of love and encouragement from someone else. We all love someone who is going to feed our ego and give us affirmation. People that come along and tell us we are the next best thing to sliced bread. That's easy for us to hear. We like hearing those kinds of things. What we struggle with are the people who come along to criticize us, even if it's warranted, who come and give us correction and are people who are trying to help us figure out how to be a better person or do a better job at something. We struggle with people who give us instruction for change, i.e., your doctor. How many of you love receiving the instructions from your doctor? Anybody? No hands up on that one? I go to the doctor every single year. I have to go for an annual physical. I have to get blood drawn because I have one prescription that mandates that I have an annual checkup so that I can get my renewal of my prescription. And every single year I get a letter from my doctor that has my numbers in it as well as instructions for diet and exercise. How do you think I'm doing at that? Right? How do you do with those kinds of things? The instructions that we receive. Do we listen to them and do we change? I think we all struggle with words that are designed to help us change our hearts and our actions. I think we struggle with the words of Scripture sometimes. 
and how they mandate for us, how they criticize us, correct us, how they encourage and instruct us in what God wants us to do to change our hearts and our lives. The key words of what was read for us this morning are the words where Jesus says, you who are willing to hear. And it isn't just that Jesus is saying, those of you who are willing to gain knowledge in this moment, who are going to listen to my words and come to a greater understanding of something. Jesus' implication is those who are willing to hear, let it change their hearts and let it change their actions, particularly when it comes to evil and good and how we represent those in the world. Because Jesus said it's easy to be pious in the kind of elements of the world of his day. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to be kind to those who are kind to you. It is easy to return a good deed to someone who does a good deed for you. It is easy to give a loan to a friend expecting that that friend will be timely and respectful of you and will pay you back. It's easy to do those things. Jesus said it's so easy that even sinners can do those things. Sinners could be pious in those things. Jesus says what's harder is to think of goodness in a different way. And he gives four short little imperatives that measure this, that demonstrate for them. He said a heart that is changed by God and a changed for goodness and God's goodness is a heart that loves your enemy. It is one that does good to those who hate you. It is one who blesses those who would curse you. Boy, howdy, if there's any one of these that could happen in our political environment right now, it would be that one, right? Bless those who curse you. How much different would life be right now for many of us? And Jesus also said, pray for those who mistreat you. How counterintuitive those kinds of heart activities are. But then he goes a little further and he gives actual examples of what it would mean to put this in action. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn your face and let him strike the other one. If they take your coat from you, give your shirt as well. If you give them a loan, don't expect repayment at all. Treat others as you desire to be treated. The implications of Jesus' words are are hard for us to hear if we would simply listen and let them instruct and inform us. We would think differently. We would think as God thinks about the world. We would act differently. Goodness would be represented in a different way in our world. For me, Jesus is saying, do good so that God might give a blessing even to those who are evil, even to those who are our enemies, because evil has to be opposed by the means that are not intuitive and not culturally normative for us. Evil must be opposed by people who are spirit-led, thinking and enacting God's goodness in the world. About a decade ago, Margaret and I had a a chance to go on a youth mission trip with our youngest daughter, and we were one of several adult sponsors. There was about 25 kids that went, about seven or eight of us adults, and we went to Chicago for a week for a youth mission trip. We stayed at North Park University in Chicago, 
And there were several different opportunities for the youth to go out and minister in the city. All of their areas in which they did ministry were impoverished parts of the Chicago community. Kids that were in need, families that were struggling and under-resourced. And so that was the way in which they did a mission work in Chicago. They had the exercises that were hopefully going to form and shape the kids as well. One of them was is they sent an adult with two youth out for the evening. They gave you $6 and they said, go try to figure out how all three of you can eat in Chicago for 6 bucks, And don't go to McDonald's. Right? And that was a struggle even to try to do that kind of activity. But we learned a lot about Chicago. One thing in particular was a group of people who had been changed by the message of God and were enacting a different kind of living within Chicago. It was a group of young families who lived in the suburbs, lived in nice affluent parts of Chicago, and they all made this intentional covenant decision to sell their homes and to move into an impoverished area of Chicago and to live among people who were under-resourced. There's an area of Chicago that's called Lawndale. At one time, Lawndale was a bustling part of Chicago. It was an up-and-coming and booming part of Chicago. At its peak, it had 125,000 people living in the Lawndale area. But over about a 20-year period of time, that population decreased to about 42,000 people. Industry loss of industry and loss of jobs created this kind of precipitous decline, which meant that properties went down as well. Maintenance was neglected because people didn't have the money to invest in their homes. Homes were abandoned, and then the city would come in and raise the abandoned homes so that they couldn't be used for nefarious kinds of activities. Where there were homes in this community, now vacant lots sprang up that were untended and trashed, began to pile up, and Lawndale became a place that nobody really wanted to live. Unemployment went up. Employment opportunities went down. Crime went up. A 2001 demographic study of Lawndale done by Claritas Incorporated stated this one number in particular. 70%, get that, 7 out of 10 men between the ages of 18 and 45 had criminal records. Lawndale had basically disintegrated. And here comes a group of committed Christians, young people, who sold everything that they had in their nice, safe little communities and suburbs, and they began buying homes in Lawndale. But they didn't turn their homes into nice little suburban homes. They worked on their home piece by piece while also working on a neighbor's home piece by piece to raise the level and standard of living for everyone in the community, not just themselves. They intentionally chose to enact God's goodness through being present in a troubled community. Friends, I'm not asking any of you to go sell your homes and move to a blighted urban area of Kansas City. Here's what I'm asking you simply to listen to today, to listen to God, to listen to the instructions of God that may not necessarily be so easy for each and every one of us. It's hard to love those who do not love you. 
It is hard to seek good for those who do not seek your good. It's hard to lend to those you cannot trust. Rather, seek ways in which you can be good in the manners in which God is inviting all of us today to love those who hate you, to be generous to those who would take from you, to lend without expectation of return, to treat those around you as you wish to be treated, to do good in this world. In our Foundations of Faith group that meets on Thursday mornings, uh, we have been reading a book called Revival, and in it it reminded us of a, a quote that John Wesley is known for saying, and this is what John Wesley said. We should be a people who do all the good that you can by all the means that you can in all of the ways that you can and in all the places that you can at all the times that you can to all the people that you can as long as you ever can. So as you think about going away from this moment and how this conversation hopefully will form and shape you and maybe even the conversation that you can continue to have, I I hope you remember these things. To be reminded that we are people who all listen to those around us. We especially listen to those who tickle our ears with the words that we want to hear. But Jesus wasn't exactly tickling the ears of his disciples and those who were listening. Actually, his words were an invitation to something different, a changed heart and a changed action, a changed way of being. In the world. I think Jesus still invites us to that today. To be a people who live a way of life that is different than our cultural norms and requires us to be a people who are listening and acting. So here's your invitation for you this morning to consider who are you listening to? Who are you listening to today? Are you listening to the world that tells you? what you want to hear that's forming and shaping how you respond? Or are you listening to God who is calling you to a different way of being? How are you listening? How are you listening? Are you settling for the low-hanging fruit that's pretty easy for some of us as Christians, the, the simple things that, as Jesus said, even the sinners can do these? Do we pick and choose those as our model and our way of life? Or are we trying to boldly cross into the, some of the countercultural norms so that goodness might spawn from that? Because we could certainly respond to evil with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We all know that. We know what it looks like. No one would blame you for it, not in our culture. But I would say that Jesus invites you to live differently today, to respond instead in love by giving away, to return good even when it's evil that's coming your way. So who are you listening to today? Would you join me in a moment of prayer? So gracious and holy God, as we come before you in this moment in contemplation and prayer, we ask, O God, that you might form and shape us by your words, by your message that we might be a people who think about what it means to live out goodness in the way in which Jesus invites us, that we might be a people who figure out activities and actions that will truly represent goodness in this world, even for those who hate us, who would abuse us. Lord, in your mercy, we ask that you hear our prayers.